to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hi everyone. Our first reading tonight is from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. It's verses 1 to 20. If you're looking along in your pew Bibles, it's on page 423. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great, because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onks for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colours, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and all the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave towards the work of the t- on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the, of the Lord, in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O God, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands is strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, O God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were, our fo- as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow, without hope. O Lord our God, as for all this ab- abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, God of our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. 
And give my son Solomon to the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the king. Okay, for the second Bible reading, if everyone wants to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians, page 1147, um, and I'll be reading from chapter 9, starting at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Oh, good evening. We're going to look at that, the passage from Chronicles chapter 29, so you might like to keep that passage open this evening. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of looking at your word this evening, and we ask that as we do, you would help us understand it and apply it to our lives so that we would bring your name praise and glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I might just move this. I wonder if it's ever occurred to you that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Now that might not sound like an astounding statement, but actually it's pretty interesting. The disciples grew up, they would have known the Jewish prayers, they would have known the ritualised prayers, the Shema. They would have known what to say day by day. They would have also known about the prescribed prayers that you use for all kinds of different occasions, whether you're travelling or whether, you're, um, whether it's dark or light or whether there's fire or rain. There's all kinds of prayers. And the disciples would have grown, grown up knowing that those prayers were there. So why do you think Jesus taught his disciples to pray? It seems odd, doesn't it? I think one of the reasons Jesus taught his disciples to pray was that we need to learn to pray. 
We need to learn how to pray. And the reason we need to learn how to pray is because prayer is not so much for God's sake, but actually for ours. See, God knows how we think and what's going on in our lives, and he knows what's going on in this world. And certainly he listens and he hears. But actually, as we pray to him, our lives are shaped. The way we think about our world is shaped. And so, in some senses, we need to learn how to pray in order to understand what God is doing. And so this year, we've actually taken six prayers from the Bible and had a look at them to try and understand how we can pray together. Tonight, we're coming to a prayer in Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Now, Chronicles is, uh, 1 and 2 Chronicles are, are very interesting books. In our Bibles, they appear around 1 and 2 Kings. And they seem to cover much of the similar ground that 1 and 2 Kings covers. But actually, in the Hebrew Bible, they, um, they come at the end of the Hebrew text. And that's because we think that they were probably written around the time of 400 to 350 BC. And they were written to a group of people who had been in exile and were returning to Jerusalem. They were relaying the history of the people of Israel. In fact, they start with Adam and they end with exile. And as they relay the history of the people of Israel, they'll tell it from a a particular perspective. The chronicler tells it the whole story from a particular perspective. It's not the same as 1 and 2 Kings. We hear a lot about judgment and people's failure there. But in 1 and 2 Chronicles, we hear about God's faithfulness and we hear about people's response to God's faithfulness And 1 and 2 Chronicles are meant to be tremendously encouraging to the people of Israel as they return from exile to Jerusalem. And so they give us a very different take on a period of history uh, around the time of the kings. They particularly focus on David and Solomon. They do include other parts of history as well. And they focus on also the building of the temple. That's pretty important to them as well because the building was actually central to the life of Israel. The building of the temple was central to the life of Israel. And they tell a history from that perspective. And so this prayer that we're looking at tonight is one of great encouragement, but it's actually about the generosity of people and the generosity of God. And the question I want to raise with you is, how do you respond in prayer to generosity? When you see someone being generous, how do you pray? What does the Bible have to teach us about prayer and generosity? Well, come with me as we have a look at this particular passage. And we're going to look at the moment and the prayer. We're going to look at the context and the prayer itself. So come with me to the moment. Uh, You'll notice that this is the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Had the privilege of visiting there uh, a number of years ago. And it's just amazing to see people praying there uh, because they want the temple restored. Still very significant to the life of people in Israel. But as we come to Chronicles chapter 29, we read these words in verse 2. With all my resources, this is speaking about King David, I have res- I provided for the temple of God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, 
as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise and stones in various colours, and it goes on to list a whole range of other things. What we have a picture of here is kingly generosity. David was a king. As the king, he owned the nation's wealth, so to speak. And so from the nation's wealth, he gives towards the temple. He says, well, look, this is what we have as a nation. The temple is central to our nation. Therefore, I'm going to give from what we have as a nation to the building of this temple. But then he does something rather interesting. He doesn't only give from the nation's wealth, he gives from his personal wealth. And we see that a little later on in verse 3. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of God. Over and above everything else I have provided for this holy temple. And then he goes on to list the things that he has given. Now what's significant about this is that for a king to give from their own personal wealth exposed them to great risk. The reason that the kings often had their own personal wealth was to protect their kingship. If there was some strife in the nation, they could draw from their own personal wealth and make sure that they were able to defend themselves. So effectively what David is doing here is actually distributing his own personal wealth and leaving himself vulnerable to attack. This is actually a true sacrifice. He might have been sacrificing the nation's wealth, but here it's, it's very, very personal. And it would have left him very exposed to attack. It's a true sacrifice. How much did he sacrifice? Well, it's difficult to t- tell. Some scholars suggest that probably, in de- today's terms, $8 billion, if you add it all up towards the building of this temple. And so he sacrifices significantly. He would have been left bereft without much to live on. Now that example leads on to something else. It leads on to the fact that the leaders of the people notice what the king has done, notice the significant sacrifice of his um, wealth, And they give generously too. And so you see there, uh, beginning in verse 6, a list of things that people give. Then the leaders of the families and the officials of the tribe of Israel, the commanders of of the thousands and the commanders of the hundreds and the officials in charge of the king's work, gave willingly. They gave towards the work of the temple. 5,000 talents, 10,000 drachars, gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000. It goes on and lists all the kinds of things that they gave once again. And if you do a rough calculation and you start to add that all up, possibly $11.5 billion of people's wealth. Now, these things are a little bit hard to, to kind of work out, but what the impression you get is that people have been extremely generous with everything that they've given. And of course, this is tremendously encouraging to those people who are coming from exile back to Jerusalem. To look back into their history and say, wow, 
these people gave so much in order to see the temple built, to see God honoured and glorified, to see a place where people could come and worship, to see a place where people could receive mercy, where they could sacrifice. Now, as we look at this generosity, there's some features to it, which I thought we'd note as we go through. And these features are that the generosity is willing. You might see there, in verses 5, 6, 9 and 17, there is a genuine willingness to give. This is not a tax. They haven't been backed into a corner. The preacher's not up the front saying, give, give, give. Now, these people are willingly giving. They're making sacrifices because they want to. Now, of course, throughout the Bible, that is the way that the Bible talks about generosity and talks about um, the way we should treat generosity. So, for example, in that passage we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read these words. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Generosity throughout the Bible is about cheerfulness, about willingness, about thankfulness, about the privilege of giving. And that's what we see unfolding here in this beautiful story of people giving towards the temple. Of course, that generosity also has a purpose. It's there to establish the temple. It's there to see that people have a place to worship God. They're not just giving for any reason. They're giving in order that the people of Israel may come to worship God and that they might be a light to the nations. The whole world is meant to see that God is glorified in this temple. The whole world is meant to see that people can come before God and have sacrifices for their sins. The whole world is meant to see that this is the people of God, that God has set aside his people for himself. And they're meant to turn towards God and glorify him. The third thing we see is that this generosity has a pattern. First of all, the king gives, and then his leaders give. As they observe the generosity of others, they are then inspired to give themselves. And this is actually a pattern that we see throughout the Bible once again as well. Same sort of passage from 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing and encouraging uh, people to give to the Jerusalem, uh, people in Jerusalem who are poor. And he uses Jesus' example. Jesus' example, who is far more wealthy than David would ever be. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, rich beyond compare, really, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. We see the same pattern in Jesus Christ. And Paul uses that example and says, therefore, be generous. Therefore, give to the church of Jerusalem. They are in need. Therefore, because of God's grace towards you, be thankful and generous in all that you give. Some of you will know this woman. This woman is Margaret Rogers. She came to this church, and particularly morning church, for about 30 to 40 years. She came here uh, when the church was tiny. When hardly any people were meeting here, she remained. 
Plenty of her friends moved on and went to other places. When the church was going through very difficult times, she remained here faithfully praying for people. She was a remarkable woman, and I say she was a remarkable woman because earlier on this year, on the 31st of May, she died. She was a remarkable woman because she was a head of Deaconess House, New South Wales Council of Churches. She used to run, run Anglican media and be the Archbishop's media advisor. She was known both nationally and internationally. She received an Order of Australia. That's her standing there with her Order of Australia. She was a remarkable woman dedicated to serving and loving our God. And yet she had seen this pattern of generosity in her own life. She's seen it in two ways that we know of. When she was young, in her teenage years, she used to be a great hockey player. But then she got rheumatic fever. And she ended up in hospital for a number of years. They didn't think she would survive. Her family were extremely poor. She lived down around Wollongong. But amazingly, a man called Lindsay Evans heard about their plight and supported her family, provided for their needs, in fact enabled her eventually to come to Sydney where she studied and she come to, come to know God's word better and better and where she grew in her ability to lead others. Except for that man, she would not have been here, her brother tells me. That man's generosity meant that she was generous to so many other people. But actually more significantly than that, she understood the generosity of Jesus Christ in her own life. She was passionate about seeing ministry grow and develop, passionate about seeing that take place both here and throughout the world. So you know what she did? This is just amazing generosity. In her will, she left us a bequest. She left money to her family, but the only other Christian organisation she left money to was this church the church where she'd come for 30 years, where things had been so small. And she left us $185,000. It's just remarkable, really. Unbelievable. Now, of course, the parish council and wardens have gone, wow, wow. How do we best invest this, actually, to ensure the gospel continues here and beyond? But this woman understood what it was to have a generous God towards her. And because of that, she was able to be generous to others, to ensure that the gospel continued to be proclaimed from Newtown. Now, I just want to pause and say, that's a moment, isn't it? There is a real live example in our church of someone who's been generous. Can I ask you to consider your own life? And think about your own will. I know you've probably not written one. <laughs> but as you think about that into the future, as you think about your life unfolding, as you think about the ways in which you can help other people be equipped with the gospel, think about how you might do that. And consider how your gift 
might enable others to come and know and love Jesus. Please also be in prayer for the the wardens and the parish councillors as well as we try and work out how best to invest that money in order to see the proclamation of the gospel in the future. Amazing generosity. But how should we pray? What should we pray when we're faced with such amazing generosity? Well, let's now look at the prayer. First of all, in, uh, in, sorry, first of all, in verses 10 and 12, you'll notice that David prays with praise. David prays the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. He's out the front, he's praising God, and this is what he says. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are a ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Notice where he starts. Billions of dollars have been given for the building of the temple. He could easily be distracted by those billions of dollars that have been given for the building of the temple. But he doesn't start there. He starts here. He says, Praise to you, O Lord, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours is the... He recognises who God is. He acknowledges who God is, how God is over all things. That while this gift is significant, in fact, God is far, far greater. Far bigger than anything that people can give. And he rightly acknowledges who God is through his praises. Exalting him, acknowledging that God is over all the universe. Now you might think that's an interesting place to start for that kind of prayer. But I actually think there's something being taught here. Imagine if you'd been an Israelite and you'd seen that there were billions of dollars being given to the temple. You might have wondered in your own mind, wow, how can I get my hands on that? You might have been celebrating and being very willing, but there's that temptation for greed, isn't there? And Jesus continues to remind us over and over again that actually greed is one of those things that is deep within our hearts and actually very hard to get rid of. You might remember passages um, that Paul gives us, for example, in Colossians chapter 3 and 3 to 5. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. How do you do that? How do you set your things on non-earthly things, on things above? How do you get rid of that greed that is idolatry? Well, you start with praising God. You start with acknowledging that he is forever and ever. You start with acknowledging that he is great and powerful that everything on the earth is his. You start with acknowledging that all honour belongs to him 
and comes from him. You lift your eyes from what you see and look at him. And that's what David is doing here. He's asking the people of Israel to lift their eyes to give God due honour and praise because of what he has done. It's only then that David moves on to give thanks and is far more specific in giving thanks. And he says this in verse 13. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise for your glorious name. And then he details what happens. But who am I? Who are my people that we will be able to give and be so generous? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. You see what's happening here? As David prays this prayer, his heart is being reorientated towards God. It's being shaped. The prayer is actually shaping him and what he acknowledges. He recognises the gift, yes, but he's praised God. Now he gives thanks to God, recognising actually everything comes from God. Verse 15, in light of their exile, he says, We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were our forefathers. Our days are on earth like a shadow without hope. O Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that, you, that we have provided for building your temple, for your holy name, it comes from your hand. It comes from your hand. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful acknowledgement? It's a wonderful moment in this prayer to say, actually, God, you are from everlasting to everlasting, and I'm just going to give you thanks because actually you provided for all this in the first place. And it's all yours. So thank you. See how that's reorientating our hearts away from greed and from the worship of material things to worshipping a God who, who gives us everything. And then finally you notice that he has a petition. And here in verse 18 we read these words. O Lord God, for our fathers Abraham, Isaac and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever. Keep their hearts loyal to you. Do you know? See the purpose? He's got everything in perspective. He's got all this wealth and this generosity in total perspective. And he says, and please, I know what wealth can do. I know what generosity can look like. Please, as we look into the future, please keep this desire within the hearts of your people. Help them get this right. And that's his response to generosity. I wonder if that's your response to generosity when you see it. To praise God, to give him thanks, to petition him and ask that people might continue to be generous so that the gospel might be proclaimed both here and throughout the earth. If you want your prayers to be trained by God, if you want your prayers to be in line with what God wants, I invite you to say this prayer to recognise what God has done and to thank him for his generosity. Because prayer is not so much for God's sake, but it's for ours. Because it conforms us to his image. Let me pray. Father, we do want to praise you for who you are. 
We want to thank you that you have the greatness and the power, the glory and majesty and the splendor. We want to praise you knowing that everything in heaven and earth is yours. We want to praise you recognizing that wealth and honor come from you and that you are the ruler of all things. Father, we want to give you thanks for everything that you have given us. For we know all good things come from you and that you have provided for us in abundance. We want to thank you that everything is yours. And tonight, we particularly want to thank you for Margaret Rogers. We want to thank you for her faithfulness in serving you over so many years, through the good times and the difficult times. Father, we thank you for her generosity to us here as we gather here. We pray that you would help us use that money with wisdom in order that many people may go on to know and love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au